You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. Let the foe pierce your breast and heart with a spear of oppression. This pain shall become the cure. You be patient. Let the time come. These fields of love and loyalty will not be nurtured without sprinkling of blood. What does life matter in, on this path? If it has to be given up, let it be so. Tum dekhoge ke inhi You will see that the drops of love will fall from these. If the clouds of calamities and hardships are piling up, let them swarm. In the name of Allah, the gracious, the merciful, good afternoon, peace be upon you, and welcome to another episode of the Drive Time Show here on The Voice of Islam. Today with myself, Raza, Brother Daniel, and Brother Kiyum. Before we start, we would like to send our deepest and most sincere condolences and prayers to all the families who have lost their loved ones and the devastating terror attack that happened on Wednesday, the 11th of January 2023 in Burkina Faso's Ahmadiyya Muslim Community Mosque. May Allah the Almighty elevate the status of the martyred and may He give their families and patience, families patience and strength to deal with this and overcome this tragic loss. May Allah also keep all our Ahmadi brothers, sisters and children under His protection. Our prayers are always with them. It is a very somber topic. It is a very 
tragic and devastating topic that we are going to be talking about today, but it is necessary to talk about it. And with that, I would like to welcome my two fellow brothers here as well. Assalamu alaikum, gentlemen, to you as well. Alaikum salam, peace be on you, brothers. Alaikum salam. Yes, indeed. Um, it's uh, it, it's it's like uh, 2010 all over again. Um, the last time uh, something similar feelings uh, that were experienced um, back in May uh, 2010 uh, suddenly uh, when the when the the texts on on various platforms started to appear you think no this is not happening this is not real mm. uh, and then you start getting pictures of our brothers who were were martyred mm. in in the most in the most gruesome gruesome um and and cruel manner um where it wasn't it was it was uh, you know malicious it was deliberate it was uh it was done in a way they called individuals in one by one mm. um and i i read uh, and when i when i read this article um there was this one paragraph that keeps kind of repeating itself in my head that when uh, the, the first gentleman, the imam, was asked, they, they tried to hmm. decapitate him. And he said, no, he fought back. And uh, he said, you know, sticking to his faith and and his belief and said, if you want to shoot me, shoot me straight. Mm-hmm. He didn't He didn't kind of, he wasn't scared mm-hmm. of that. And, and, you know, um, and, and that kind of keeps... Hitting, um, you know, in 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 my head that that kind of you know you get those deja vu moments where it keeps repeating itself. So I think for those of you who have just tuned in, and for those of you who don't know um, what we are talking about, I think uh, let's just uh, get right into it and um, <clears throat> tell you what we know so far. I'm sure there's a few more things that we will find out. Um, the investigations are ongoing. And uh, as His Holiness, as Mizam Masood Ahmed, the current caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, mentioned today as well, that uh, by next week, hopefully, uh, when he talks about it on Friday, um, in his Friday sermon, we will know a little bit more detail than what we know so far. But as far as we know, um, you know, the current standing, Brother Daniel, what, what, what just exactly happened? What are we talking about? So on Wednesday last week, 11th of January, 2023, Terrorists invaded a mosque of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community in Burkina Faso, killing nine worshippers in a very unprovoked and cold-blooded attack. Local Ahmadiyya Muslims were peacefully gathered in their mosque in Mehdiabad, a village built by the community in 2008 near the northern town of Dori for the evening prayers when terrorists invaded the mosque and began harassing the worshippers. They separated nine of the elder men, including the imam of the mosque, from the other worshippers, forced them outside the mosque where they were then brutally murdered. Following this heinous attack, the terrorists threatened the remaining worshippers, including children, that too they would be murdered, that they too would be murdered should they return to the mosque. I just want to uh, name our martyred brothers um, and the worshippers 
uh, who are victims of this tragedy. Bidiga Buriema Sahib, um, who, who was age 67 and he was the imam of the mosque. Um, we had brother Malial Useni Sahib, who was age 66, and he was uh, in charge of uh, the, associ- uh, um, the Association of Ahmadi Elders for the area. Um, <clears throat> then there was Manial Al-Hassani Sahib, who was age 70. There was Ibrahim Suli Sahib, who was age 66. Abdur, Abdurmane Hamidu Sahib, who was age 66. Suday Osame, age 58. Maguel Agali, age 52. Idrahim Musa, age 52. Abdurmane Aguma, aged 43. These were the nine brothers who were martyred in this incident. A spokesperson of the Amiya Muslim community said, Our community all around the world is a family, and we are heartbroken at the brutal murder of our brothers and grieve with their loved ones. We pray that God envelops the martyrs in his mercy. We also pray for the security of Burkina Faso and that the government fulfills its duty to protect all Burkina Bay people, including Ahmadi Muslims, and that the perpetrators of this heinous and evil crime be brought to justice. I mean. The Amli Muslim community has, unfortunately, um, this, this I wouldn't say history, but this story of persecution, this thread that runs through the history of the Amli Muslim community by both state and non-state actors, that is something that we are way too familiar with for their faith, for our faith in many Muslim-majority countries, including Pakistan. In 2010, as Brother Kiyum mentioned, scores of Ahmadi Muslims were killed when terrorists simultaneously attacked two mosques in the city of Lahore, which, um, again, uh, I think you put it rightly, when, when, when we found out about this, um, this, this terrorist attack and this attack on one of the mosques, it brought back some of the memories that we've had from 2010. Now, we have a number of guests lined up for today, some who are on the ground, some who had um, gone to that village in Burkina Faso to tell us more about their experiences, what exactly um, they experienced there, how the village is, etc., etc. But we are also asking you a question on our opinion poll on Instagram if you have uh, read about it, if you found out about it, what, what what was your emotion? How did you feel when reading about it, when you found out? There's a few comments that we have received, so JazakAllah for that. Keep them coming and we're including, we'll, we will include them, inshallah, into the show as we go along. The village itself, um, let's talk about that before we go to our first guest, Brother Daniel. What, what, what do we know about where exactly that happened? So the village, um, uh, Mehdiabad, which is a name given to this uh, model village as it was created by the Ahmadiyya Muslim community there, is um, situated at a distance of 45 kilometers from the city of Dori towards uh, the border of Niger. According to the reports, Ahmadis were preparing for the Isha prayers or the late evening prayers on 11th of January 2023 when terrorists took control of the mosque and started delivering a speech about their movement. They asked the community about their beliefs and showed discontent. They declared Ahmadis to be infidels. They took the imam of the mosque, Mr. Bridiga Buriema, to a nearby community center and threatened him to renounce Ahmadiyyat. 
The terrorists also inquired about other Ahmadi concentrations in Burkina Faso. This is particularly concerning as this poses a similar threat, a dangerous threat to other Ahmadis in that country as well. The imam was brought back to the mosque and all the elders were threatened that unless they renounced Ahmadiyyat, they would be killed. They, the old, they, they leave their faith. They say basically that we don't believe in the promised Messiah, the founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. That's, that's basically what it means, isn't it? But absolutely. I guess, so, so basically saying, yeah, like, uh, uh, ba- basically renouncing your soul. Uh, mm, yeah. That was uh, that was the demand of uh, of the terrorists, and and they said, well, if you don't do this, then um, we'll kill you, and mm-hmm. and that's what they did. They all preferred martyrdom to leaving Ahmadiyyat. Um, this goes back to what we were saying, mm. we we would been discussing earlier as well. Um, the the strength of the faith is not just a faith; it is it is their existence. Mm. Um, it is their soul um, that is being challenged. Mm. So um, it, it is, you know, one of the reasons why um, we don't say they were killed, they were, but they were martyred, mm. is because they gave up their lives for the cause, for the belief, for the strength of the belief. And may I also say that, you know, you know when it comes to uh, the Imam of the Mosque, uh, Ibrahim Bidega Buriyamai, as was his full name, was actually a, a convert from, yeah. um, he was a Wahhabi hmm. uh, in, living in that same village. Which is another sect of Islam. Which of is Islam. another sect of Islam, um, quite a significant sect mm-hmm. uh, of Islam. And he was a convert. And he was actually um, a, a pretty prominent hmm. um, opposer of uh, of the Jamaat yeah. before uh, he accepted Ba'ath um, uh, within the community or, or um, before he entered the community. But this is the case with a lot of people, isn't it? That that so many people who who don't know uh, the community and do not know uh, the claim of the promised Messiah until they start reading. Exactly. And once they read, they realize, hold on, we yeah. had been given false information <clears throat> and now they have kind of done their own research and they have met with community members. They realize the truth of the promised Messiah. And, 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 you know, if you read the history of religion, that's true for for all, all religions. religions. Yes. You, you find yeah. that uh, narration such as, uh, as this one during Abrahamic times, uh, during Moses, mm-hmm. uh, during Jesus. Uh, so, uh, yes, yeah, so, so he was uh, a devout anti-Ahmadi. Mm. But then when he accepted Ahmadiyyad, He's, you know, the, the reason I bring up this uh, this context is because he, he the faith was so deep in him. He had accepted Ahmadiyyad, you know, with with body and soul and spirit, and uh, he was a true believer. And, and when he was asked at gunpoint to renounce Ahmadiyyad, he said, well, "Nothing doing. Sorry, you, hmm. you, you 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 want to kill me? You kill me." You know, it go, it, this is this this is what goes back to what His Holiness talked about it in Friday sermon today when he was giving the address on the Friday sermon when he talked about. The the depth of the belief is that uh, is it should not be skin it sh- it should be more than just skin deep it needs to be you need to be touching the brain it needs to be the at the at the at the the the, the center of the brain where and the heart and the soul um, where they merge that's where that's the depth you need to go to in order to really uh, call yourself a believer and and these people these brothers who martyr today had reached that point. Yeah. 
We're going to go to our first guest for today. Joining us on the line right now is Dr. Hassan Wahab. Uh, he is a senior lecturer at the University of Ghana and also the son of uh, Mawbi Dr. Abdul Wahab Adam, who was the late national president of the Ahmadi Muslim Association in Ghana. Assalamu alaikum, peace upon you, and welcome to the Draft Time Show. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Thank you for inviting me. Jazakallah, and thank you very much for joining us today, Dr. Wahab. Um, Burkina Faso neighbors Ghana. If I want, uh, I would like to start off by asking you. I mean, it's it's a uh, it's news that has, of course, impacted the entire community around the world. But how has this impacted the Yemeni Muslim community in Ghana? As I said, you neighbor Burkina Faso. How are um, yeah, how's the community there? Uh, it has. Uh uh, been uh, very challenging uh, for the Jamaa here. Uh, today at uh, Juma, the Amir missionary in charge, uh, Mawvi, uh, Mohammed bin Salim, uh, devoted the entire sermon to what had happened there in Burkina Faso. And then you could tell uh, that everybody was shaken by hmm. As someone who has grown up in West Africa, can I ask you, because this is a matter of, ultimately, well, depending on how you look at it, it's a, it's a matter of religion. It's a matter of faith. How is religion, how is faith perceived in, in, in West Africa? What role does it play? Religion plays a very important uh, role in the lives of uh, Africans, West Africans, you ask. Uh, and that is because uh, the African fundamentally uh, believes in the existence of a supreme being. So if you look into uh, the culture of, uh, say, the Akan people, uh, Akan is uh, uh, an ethnic group that is based in Ghana. There is a section that is also in Cote d'Ivoire. They believe that uh, there is a supreme being and in fact contend that every human being was born with a name given to him or her by the creator. And that name is determined by the day you're born. So you, I'm sure, have heard uh, and your listeners may have heard of, say, Kwame Nkrumah. Kwame uh, is a name given to a boy who is born on a Saturday. Mm. Now, nobody chooses when he or she is born, what day he or she is born. Mm. And so the contention here is that the creator uh, gave every single person a name based on uh, when he was born. And this should tell you, the, in essence, uh, the role of uh, the belief in a deity, supreme being, in the lives uh, of uh, the African uh, person. Is there, Dr. Vahab, uh, uh, opposition or pockets of opposition uh, in Ghana, Cote d'Ivoire, and, and uh, Burkina Faso? Uh, is, is this something that, um, uh, that you generally encounter in West Africa? Op- opposition to Jamaat, you are uh, yes. asking? Yes, you know, but it varies from country to country. Uh, 
the uh, Burkina Faso Jamaat is a fairly young Jamaat. Uh, at some point, it was under the Ghana Jamaat. Uh, so they may not have uh, been there for a long time to a degree that, uh, you know, uh, large uh, sections of people would have known about them. Having said that, Jamaat has done a number of things in Burkina Faso. This place that uh, they were attacked, it's uh, considered to be an area that the IAAAE you know, set up as a model city, model town, model village for everybody. And Jamaat does not discriminate in terms of who benefits from whatever the Jamaat is doing. Uh, and if you pay attention to some of the stories that we are hearing, uh, surrounding uh, uh, this uh, atrocity, uh, you could tell that they were targeted simply because they were Ahmed. Now, when it comes to a place like Ghana, it's a little difficult. It doesn't, you know, they say that you never can say never. But, you know, Jamaat in Ghana has been here for a long time. Uh, uh, Jamaat has a number of schools. Uh, and uh, many of these, you know, I went to Jamaat school, you know, primary school, uh, and in high school. If you, Jamaat, Ahmadiyya Jamaat in Ghana is the only religious institution that you can go to their school and Christians are allowed uh, to recite the Lord's Prayer during one assembly. Hmm. And then alongside the Surah al Christians are allowed to worship in whatever way they want on Sundays. Some even do it on Saturdays. And Muslims, Ahmadi Muslims, and uh, non-Ahmadi Muslims, when I was in high school, we prayed separately. And it was allowed. If you go to any other religious institution, uh, school in Ghana, uh, they would, especially Christians, they would require Muslims to pray on Sundays with them as a condition. Recently, there was an issue about uh, whether Muslims should be given who are going to schools, uh, Christian schools should have uh, an opportunity to get up in the morning and then start a fast month during the month of Ramadan. So it, it varies, as I, as, as I say. But yes, at some point in time, the Jamaat, there were a number of people who were instigating against the Jamaat. Mm -hmm. Alhamdulillah, uh, it hasn't gotten to that point. I doubt that it will get to this point, inshallah, because we have a we have ministers who went to our media schools. Hmm. Uh, we have uh, people in the bureaucracy who went to our media schools. As I speak to you, uh, the high school that I went, our media secondary school in Kumasi, which is the oldest Jamaat uh, high school in Ghana, there is a platform. 95% of them are, are non-Muslim, not, not to talk about even non-Africans. Hmm. And we live uh, peacefully along uh, uh, you know, uh, without a lot of uh, challenges. This is not to say there hasn't been opposition, which is the main class of your question. It used to be, it is no longer like that, at least in a way that we can anticipate something like this happening from within Ghana. Uh, just uh, to add to this, the non Ahmed Muslims in this country have uh, what they call the national chief imam. The national chief imam uh, hates all the organiza the uh, branches of the non-Ahmadi Muslim groups in this country. You may recall that not too long ago, 
that national chief imam attended our jalsa in London and went to see Wuzu. Hmm. He spoke at our jalsa in London. When my late father passed away here at his, his janazah, the national chief imam was there and then he prayed behind our meal. So, uh, again, it's a little different uh, in Burkina Faso and Ghana. Of course, in Nigeria, uh, it's also a little uh, different. Uh, Dr. Hassan, um, Ahmadi Muslims um, are being persecuted just about everywhere. I mean, there's Pakistan, there's uh, Bangladesh, Indonesia, um, Algeria, and now we are even seeing here, this, even e- even here in, in the West, in United, in, you know, even in the Western nations, um, where um, <coughs> Ahmadis are being targeted, and now with this uh, terrible incident in uh, or terrible atrocity in Burkina Faso. But one one thing, um, in addition to the atrocity, the one thing that is in common and that everyone um, speaks about is the resilience and the strength in the belief of the Ahmadi Muslims who accepted death but refused to renounce religion. Why do you think Ahmadis have this... um, have this patience and perseverance within them. Where does this come from? It, it, it comes uh, from our attachment to Khilafat. That is the key difference between Ahmadim Muslims and all the other Muslim groups. I mean, for the last one and a half to two years, our Khalifa, may Allah uh, grant him long and healthy life, Amen. has been talking to us about the life of the Holy Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, the early uh, Muslims, you know, uh, even today, even today, Huzul Sermon, he mentioned a number of uh, things about, you know, people uh, who are saying that uh, a person person does not pray, you can kill him. And then the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he said, no, you you can do that. If the person prays, it's not up to you. I mean, we have... Uh, this well uh, of advice, of uh, of praise from a Khalifa that nobody else has. And I think that is the main difference because anybody who is an Ahmadi Muslim, whatever issue he or she has, he or she will write to the Khalifa, may see the Khalifa and mention it to him. The Khalifa will say, I'm praying for you. And we see the result of the prayers. So challenges they will come, hmm. uh, but the fact that uh, our brethren in Burkina Faso, this nine soul, uh, decided that uh, they were committed to the faith, and renouncing it uh, uh, was a no-no for them, and they gave up their lives. Tells you how much faith they have in uh, our Muslim community and the institution of Philadelphia. Wonderful. Dr. Hazan Rahab, thank you so much, sir, for taking time out and coming on to the Drive Time Show and and uh, and uh, contributing to our uh, discussion today. I wish you a fantastic evening and a weekend ahead. May peace be with you, sir. Before we go thank on to you, the, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Before we go on to our next guest, I just want to make uh, one point. Um, so the uh, the words Burkina Faso, uh, Burkina uh, Burkina means uh, upright and Faso means fatherland. 
and it has been um, uh, uh, translated as um, as the land of honest and incorruptible men. Hmm. And that reminded me of uh, uh, Imam of the mosque, yeah. Imam Ibrahim. Oh, he lived up to that, didn't he? Who, who he was, was Burkina Faso. He was yeah. Burkina Faso. Yeah. Wonderful. Oh, that's 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 amazing. It is noteworthy that under <clears throat> or yeah, this this village, this uh, model village in Africa in, in Burkina Faso that we were talking about, it provided this village with basic necessities such as water, solar energy, a community center, and of course a mosque. And these are facilities as. Um, Dr. Wahab mentioned as well, are provided by the Ahmadiyya Muslim community regardless of one's religious beliefs, uh, regardless of one's race or color. And the community is at the forefront providing basic necessities such as healthcare, education to you know deprived regions, not just in Africa, but around the world. You talk about South America, you were talking about Asia, we're talking about any part of the world where there is a need. The national president of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community in Burkina Faso said that around the world, religious extremists are tarnishing the pure and beautiful teachings of Islam in order to further their censored agenda. The innocent and peace-loving Ahmadis of Burkina Faso have been subjected to such horrific agenda that must be denounced with the greatest severity. We condemn all such dreadful acts of the extremist religious fanatics. Here with us on the line to talk a little bit more about the model village, what exactly that is. We've been talking about it since the beginning of the show. <clears throat> Our two of our brothers who uh, will elaborate a little bit more on that. Asim Malik, who is the chairman, model village and former project manager of Mediabad, where this incident happened, is with us on the line, as well as Shafkat Malik, who is a former project manager at Mediabad. Assalamu alaikum. Jazakallah for joining us to both of you, gentlemen, and welcome to the Draft Time Show. Assalamu alaikum. Thank you very much for uh, to you know for for your time. I want to ask uh, Asim um, if I can ask you the attack that we were talking about that happened on Wednesday took place in you know we we're mentioning it a model village. What what exactly is a model village? So um, going going back with IAAA, which is in International Association of Ahmadi Architects and Engineers, um, and we. Uh, we have expertise in water, solar energy, and architecture side. So, so what what we did, we uh, we combined all three segments into one self-sustained project, known as Model Village. So, the, basically, Model Village aims to provide people with clean running water to their doorsteps, uh, also with the with the light, and not only in the houses, but uh, on the streets as well. So w- water generated is also used for irrigation, al- allowing villages to grow crops for everyday needs. Because uh, uh, the, the, the place itself uh, um, is close to Sahara Desert, and it's quite difficult to get hold of water. So we we ran uh, about two kilometers of water pipe um, and, and brought the water uh, to the village. So in, in essence, it's combining water, solar energy, and, uh, and architecture side uh, in all three segments. Um, hence, uh, it's called Model Village. If I, if I may bring uh, Brother Shafkat into this. Uh, Brother Shafkat, how did you decide 
on the location of uh, Mehdiabad in, in Burkina Faso and how long did it take to um, uh, to complete um, I mean bearing in mind the challenges of uh, the, the area being close to uh, the desert um, how did you come on, on, on making such a decision? Uh, first of all Asalaamu Alaikum peace be on you and, and, the, and the listeners um, to select Mahdiabad, actually, we, we looked at quite a few countries in Western Africa, um, and especially areas which are very deprived. You know, these are areas where uh, hardly, you know, there's any resources available. There's, you know, people have to go for miles to fetch just water. And sometimes the water resource is not even, you know, by our standards, it's not drinkable. You know, it's got contaminants, it's like dirty. But that's what those people, that's, that's what those people use. So, um, after assessing all of these, uh, I think we compared approximately 10 different villages throughout Western Africa. We identified Mahdiabad as the, the most de- deprived. And as you said, it's a very arid landscape. I mean, it, it's really differ- difficult to comprehend. I think you have to kind of experience the heat uh, that is there during the day. And then, you know, it makes you realize, wow, you know, how do these people live here? Um, to give you an idea, um, while we were doing the installation, we had to do work after Fajr and then after Maghrib because during the day it was like 60 degrees Celsius. So us as engineers from UK, um, there was no hope. We just had to find some shade and just uh, kind of you know, go through that little phase during the midday sun and then after, afterwards continue the work. Um, now to answer your questions about how long it took, uh, overall it took I think three trips so each trip, uh, you know, the engineers were there for two weeks. And as you can imagine, we were trying to um, deliver a solar-powered borehole pump system and then doing distribution network for the water, which brought water from the borehole to tap points within the village. And then secondly, we had um, a functional, uh, you know, multifunction room built by the architecture division. And we were installing solar panels on there, which were providing power for streetlights during the night, and also power to each house, um, irrelevant of if they were Ahmadi Muslim or, you know, uh, belonging to any other faith. So um, it was an amazing experience, I'll be honest. Um, and the, the love that you saw within the village for, you know, each other, it was amazing. Brother Shafkat, um, uh, help me understand um, something. So I was reading somewhere that this particular village was located elsewhere and then um, a, a gold mine was discovered in the region and then this village was shifted to the, uh, to, to the place that it is um, that it currently exists and that's where the mod- model village has been built so um, in terms of the infrastructure then uh, you're saying that the infrastructure was uh, very bare despite the fact that the the mining company invested in some sort of infrastructure and built some of the houses in the new location? Uh, absolutely. I mean, all they did was, um, you know, they, they built the houses and obviously they did the borehole, uh, but they just installed a hand pump and that's it. They, they just did light for light. So mm. there wasn't even, uh, you know, they didn't even look at, like, can we improve the infrastructure for these wow. villages? Can we make some sort of road network? In there and they had literally it? struck gold. Basically, yeah, that's right. You're absolutely right. Okay. Uh, were there any um, sort of uh, arrangements made um, 
uh, for security of the village, or, or was that under even under consideration at the time? I, I, I know this is something that that obviously is is not the first thing when you're designing a model village, uh, uh, but it was there. Um, uh, was there a thought that some sort of security needs to be provided? Um, actually, when we did the installation, you have to remember this was our first village. So this was around about 2009, we're right. talking about, right. uh, 2009 to 2011. Um, at the time, it was a very peaceful place. I'll be, I'll be completely honest with you. Um, they, within the village, they had like a, um, so they have a chief who looks after, you know, the whole community in the village. And it was the chief who was, you know, saying to people, okay, look, this is what we're doing. And people were on board 100%. And in fact, we didn't see any evidence of any sort of, uh, you know, problems or, you know, some sort of issues arising uh, around the site. Um, I mean, we're aware it's quite close to the border in the north. Um, but I think these, these are things that have come about, I guess, in the recent years. Uh, but it definitely wasn't evident when we uh, carried out and fitted out this village to, you know, give them power and water. Um, both of you brothers, both of you gentlemen have worked, um, as you've mentioned, worked on this village. Could you imagine um, such a cold-blooded, cowardly attack would happen within this community? If I may go to Brother Asim first. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it is mind-boggling, but, but it's, it's a question that, that uh, you know, would be more relevant to both of you gentlemen, seeing that you are so closely attached to uh, the development of this community and with this village. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, people will certainly be very apprehensive now to reside in in the village. You know, uh, the model village was it was a community filled with peace and love, and now it's been ripped apart and left many families without their loved ones. So, um, you know, we, 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 we created this village to positively influence people's lives. However, you know, sadly, the attack will cause a great deal of negativity and anxiety among villagers. I think they, they, they are more likely to probably migrate elsewhere, uh, which will certainly impact uh, their basic human rights along with their livelihoods. Um, individuals may not have access to uh, clean water or electricity in, in any other village elsewhere. So, you know, within, within the village, the women were also be able to learn a, a great range of skills, uh, which may not be the case now. So if, if, if they now have to sadly migrate due to these circumstances, then overall the, the whole village will be affected in various different ways, I think. Brother Shafkut? Yeah, I mean, just following on from what Asim has said, uh, it was actually amazing the difference. So we were there right at the beginning when we were assessing for this village. I mean, you have to remember these were very, very poor people. I mean, they didn't even have enough to, like, properly clothe themselves. You know, they just had a couple of, like, livestock, and that's it. Um, and the children, remember, they weren't going to school because they had to walk and fetch the water during the day for the family. So as we developed and as we went back for maintenance trips, it was evident, actually, um, that, first of all, having MTA there uh, on a regular basis, you could actually see the immediate difference in, uh, in the way 
people were, the, the way they dressed themselves, you know. And in fact, I even asked one of them that, like, who told you to dress like this? You know, one of the children. And they came back to me and, uh, you know, Murabisab translated. And he said, actually, they're saying uh, no one. They saw the class with Azur, beloved Azur, and they saw the older children who were sitting in front of him. They were dressed like this. So they wanted to dress like that. I mean, children will be children, and they just, uh, uh, you know, that's right. co- copied, so copied what a, they saw. Yeah. That's right. And it was such a beautiful answer. I mean, after that, it moved me completely because it was like, okay, like what we're trying to do for these people, it's, it's, you know, we don't realize the importance of it until you go back and you kind of see the life-changing that it's, it's had on those children. And it's like um, Austin was saying, and you know, to develop like a community center where now the classes can happen for the adults, you know, they can learn new trades. You know, there's a place for them to, you know, do some sort of community activities teach the children there's lights available in the evening for the children to do their homework i mean there are so many elements you know which we realize now over the years as we've been um, you know developing more and more model villages throughout the um, african continent and that's evident everywhere that you know the the blessing and the difference it makes to the people you know who would have no hope otherwise right to ever have electricity in their village or even have water at tap only have those resources to them and um, and that's that's the blessing of the community who all donate generously towards that F- um, finally um, the whole purpose of creating these villages is part and parcel of the belief system um, that has been uh, brought to us by the promised Messiah of serving humanity such a tragedy do you think and with the perseverance and the resilience of the community do you think such projects will carry on or do you think it's back to the um, drawing board and, and and I'm sure everybody will go back to the drawing board, but the, 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 this idea of serving mankind um, to serve God um, in creating these model villages, it will carry on. Um, definitely. Sorry, if I could uh, start off. Please. So, um, I mean, the thing is that, like, the, the reason, you have to understand, all us engineers, we go out there, we volunteer our time, we don't get paid for this. So we, we take time out of our like schedules, whatever jobs we're doing, we take the time out, we go there, we develop, we deploy, we install. Maybe some of the things that we wouldn't even do in this country, you know, we get hands on in, in Africa, you know, to do that. And that's what you're saying, that you know, it's the inculcation of like, you know, the, the belief that like the reason you're doing it hmm. is to gain the uh, love of Allah, right? Yep. And the way you can do that is by serving his creation also. So if you keep that in mind, and that's what all the engineers, I'm sure, have in their mind when they go out there. You know, these projects are not going to get hampered in any way. In fact, you know, we feel even more motivated that like, we should be even doing more for these villages. So, for example, you know, if it, as, um, as fundraising starts to happen for the village families, I'm sure all the engineers will donate generously towards it because of it, you know, because of that relationship we built, you know, with the villages. And the thing is that as we develop further model villages, you know, we start to improve the lives of other people also. And it's not something that, you know, we would be scared of, as, as you say. Uh, in fact, I would say that it probably motivates us more to deliver more. Fantastic. Uh, Brother Asim, Brother Shafkat, thank you so much, gentlemen, for your time uh, this afternoon for the Drive Time Show. Wishing you a fantastic evening and a weekend ahead. Uh, may peace be with you. Thank you very much, and thank you for the opportunity.
Gentlemen, Mahdi Abad, land of the promised Messiah. Yes. Yeah. That's what well, it means, land, isn't it? Land of the Because yeah. Mahdi is the promised Messiah. Yeah. And, uh, and Abad means land of. So it would be... The abode of the uh, people uh, of the clan of the promised Messiah. Promised Messiah. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, living in the land of the upright people. Yep. Mosques, churches and synagogues have been targeted by terrorists simply in an attempt to terrorize and scare the worshippers who are practicing their faith in their places of worship. It will be fair to say that arguably the world religions are facing a new threat and challenge in the form of terrorism. While such tragic incidents have united co- uh, communities in solidarity, it has at the same time caused divisions as well. The Holy Quran in chapter 28 verse 78 says, Seek not to create disorder in the earth. Verily, God loves not those who seek to create disorder. What? But I think something that we need to clarify here as well is that if you have been listening to Voice of Islam, if you are regular to the Drive Time show or any other show on Voice of Islam, it's not about just the community, is it? When the when things like that happen, it's not just oh, it, this happened to the Ahmadi Muslim community. No, it's not. No, it's never has been. It never that's has. That's not been. part of our DNA. In fact, that's what's so different about our DNA. Mm compared to everyone else that with us it's about everyone and mm. we come like our existence is about serving everyone uh, and and we're supposed to put everyone else first before we come to ourselves 100% but I'd, I'd also like to highlight um, here uh, um, uh, this and I'm going to paraphrase that which is that uh, when one part of the body hurts the whole Yes. The whole body hurts. The whole body hurts. Yes. So, so yes, uh, you're absolutely right that um, uh, it, it, this is a universal community, and we we are all about humanity. Uh, that's what the the charity of um, uh, of our community is called as well. Humanity first, and that is what we believe in. But equally, when uh, you know when when somebody in the community is hurting, the whole community is hurting, and also. It's about that belief that we believe in a living God. Because hmm. even His Holiness talked about it today and has spoken about it before. It's not enough to just say. It's not enough to just read. It only um, makes a difference when you live it, when you implement what you read. So hmm. we read the Holy Quran. His Holiness referred to it today in the sermon. Yeah. No point just reading it. It's... You have to live it. Islam is a practical religion. And within and the promised Messiah has taught us that God is living. God isn't dead how people have, have uh, you know, people, uh, members of other communities, they talk about, or the sects, they talk about that God stopped listening or talking to people. Mm-hmm. The promised Messiah said that's irrational. That doesn't make sense. This rationality and logic that has been brought to the, uh, um, to, 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 uh, to to the true message of the Holy Prophet, and, and peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Yeah, absolutely right. So it, it what what unites us all as religious communities. Again, not just within the Ahmadiyya community, but a religious community is that belief in God, isn't it? That's right. And the promised Messiah in one one place. I mean, this this is something that I I don't understand. If you have teachings such as that, your sympathy should not be limited to your own. Mm. 
Mm. When the promised Messiah on whom be peace, he says that if the members of my community think that they should only pray for, for their own, if they should only be worried about their own, then you have not understood my mission. That's right. You don't understand the reason why I came for. I came to unite mankind. So if you don't have sympathy at heart for all of mankind, because you're all the same, because you all believe in one God, or even if you don't believe in one God, your creator is the same. Be- accept it or not, that's up to you. If you accept it or not, that, that's, I mean, and you can't just, do anything about it. Just for the benefit of our listener, the, the, the promised Messiah, the coming of the promised Messiah is, has was foretold by the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings yes. of Allah be upon yes. him. This is not something he claimed of his own accord. Hmm. It was the fulfillment of that saying of the Holy Prophet. That the Messiah will come and 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 give my give my uh, uh, salam to him, give mm. my peace, uh, you know, send peace uh, uh, on to him. Right. There's a question I want to ask uh, both of you, gentlemen. We are coming up uh, to the uh, five o'clock break, so let me ask that when we come back from the break. It's it's about the. Um, uh, the point you were raising that you know this community is about humanity it's mm. about feeling for everybody not just uh, amethyst we feel for we feel the pain for everybody five o'clock news you are listening to the recording of a live show please do not call or text as this is a recording and lines are now closed assalamu alaikum peace upon you and welcome back to the drive time show here on the voice of islam we are talking about the terrorist attack that happened at the Ahmadiyya Muslim Mosque in Burkina Faso in Mehdiabad, a model village that was created by the community in, correct me if I'm wrong, 2008, was it? Yes. Yes. In 2008. It was built in 2008 in, near the northern town of Dori. Um, just uh, very quickly, just to summarize, uh, on Wednesday, the 11th um, of January 2023, terrorists, they invaded a mosque of the community in Burkina Faso, and they killed nine worshippers in a very you know, unprovoked, cold-blooded attack. And um, all of them, literally 100%, all of those who were martyred on that d- evening belonged to the auxiliary organization Majlis Ansarla of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community which um, includes members of the community above the age of 40 and I think the youngest of them was uh, Brother Abdirmane Aguma who was aged 43 but then again we have 52, 58, 60, 70 and the Imam being 67 years of age. Um, before we go to the, the you know repeat the question and, uh, see, and, and discuss some answers uh, from my Instagram story. Brother Daniel, your question. Yes, so uh, before we went on the break, uh, Brother Reza, uh, I talked about the um, the teaching of the Promised Messiah, which is the message of the Promised Messiah, mm-hmm. which is that we, we, need, we need to love God and we need to love humanity and we need to love our neighbor. We need to even pray for our enemy. Mm-hmm. The question I have for you gentlemen is, and perhaps for our audience as well, What's so offensive about this message? Because it's new. And because it's not something that has been taught to them by the the clerics, the imams, whatever you want to use, words you use, the, the leaders of their community, um, and the fear of change. Um, because if they were to actually... Um, look at their own lives in relation to the question that's being asked, it will raise a lot of questions on how they've lived their life. Mm. 
and to them the understanding of their belief is not based on research or reading or um or self um uh, knowledge it is about what has been told to them mm-hmm. um and they have been told that if you hear such messages they're infidels they're worthy they, they are worthy of killing in fact some of them even say it is uh, it is incumbent upon you to kill people who believe this so is it could it be that it's ignorance it's ignorance absolutely 100% but could it also be that the message is so radical and so appealing it's this simp- message this message it, of love this message is that, too simple that that it causes frustration in the enemy yes that this is this is such an appealing message mm-hmm. you know how could anybody say no to to loving everybody yeah and and that causes frustration that causes this reaction i i think i i agree with some you know partially with what uh, not partially but with one point that you mentioned brother kium that it's um it's new <laughs> and secondly is what 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 am i getting out of it what is new to them what is new to them of course what is new to them because, i mean because this is the actual message that yeah, was yeah, by yeah, the holy prophet maybe not, not just him by by prophets. all the prophets before him. <laughs> if you look at jesus yeah. then isn't that what he said no but, that not that you sorry before you finish your point you've mentioned jesus and you know what was his teaching his his teaching was you know if somebody slaps you on one cheek yeah, off the other off the what other. was so offensive about that exactly and is that that's Look, this is also if you think about it that's one of the signs of the truthfulness of a message. Hmm. That's always not accepted by the majority or those who are in charge. But who is accepting that message at the moment? If you look at these brothers who who lost their lives, who were martyred in Burkina Faso, were were they like super rich, intelligent, intellectual academics? No, they were not. And again, what i was trying to say is that the reason why certain people again this is a small minority we're not talking about the masses most of them they will disagree with it but they will not take up arms they will not physically abuse or physically hurt people what am i getting out of it in a world where you live in a world that we live in where everything is about me 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 what's what what am i getting out of it how do i get any profit what's in it for me this message if you apply it in your lives and and you look at the community itself mm. we have to sacrifice a lot mm. isn't it we're not yes we are getting the spiritual things out of it that's that's what the whole thing is about but we're not getting richer we're not getting any money we're not getting any uh, uh, positions or influence or what but what not um it's just about sacrificing and plus we look upon our faith as our way of life mm. a lot of people we me and raza spoke about this long time ago on the drive time show where to a lot of people religion is compartmentalized it's a small element of their life mm. and we are living in the days and ages where that is set in stone for them they don't need to bother with it because as far as they're concerned it is what it is mm. and we will only dip into it 
if we ever need to. And for someone to come and challenge that compartment of their life, hmm. it's it's like they don't know the answer to. So if you were to approach someone with that mindset, hmm. they actually won't know an answer and they'll say to you, I'll come back to you. And then they will go to someone else to seek the answer. Hmm. Our next guest for today, I'm sure, Brother Daniel, you have an answer on that one as well so I want to ask you the same question what your thoughts are on that um, but we will go to Germany for our next guest for today to Wiesbaden in uh, Germany he's an imam of the MDM Muslim community in uh, currently serving in Wiesbaden Imam Farhad Ghaffar is with us on the line Assalamu alaikum peace upon you and welcome to the Draft Time Show uh, Imam Farhad Zakala, thank you very much for, for joining us today. The reason we wanted to talk to you today is that you had the opportunity to visit Burkina Faso as part of your training to become an imam, to become a missionary of the Amdiya Muslim community. Um, tell us about your experience with, with the people of Burkina Faso. Yes, uh, I had the opportunity of uh, visiting Burkina Faso late 2016. And um, I was uh, mainly in that Sahel region where the incident occurred. Mm -hmm. It's a desert area uh, far up north. It's uh, uh, the largest city close to Mediabad is uh, is called Dori, and uh, it was an amazing experience. I mean, uh, we were sent by Hazur. It's uh, a regular program, you know. Once you become a missionary, you want mm -hmm. to finish the seven-year Jamia program, you uh, you're sent to Africa. And in, in the beginning, I thought we are being sent there to teach. But, you know, upon my arrival, I found out that, you know, Hazur actually sent us here to learn. Mm. And that's exactly what I took from it. I have learned a lot um, from that visit. It's something uh, life-changing. I still uh, talk to my Jamaat members, to the members of my community about my visit to Africa. It's something, you know, that is uh, connected to my life. Mm. It is something that has uh, shaped me that has shaped my job as a missionary and it was uh, extremely um, amazing and important uh, but uh, yeah i mean uh, especially the people there such loving people yeah, yeah. very welcoming life changing isn't it of course yeah it's, it's it, it was very life changing yes now during your time in the model village did you notice anything special uh from 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 the members there from the Amdi Muslim community I mean you you described some of the things that you know if I think back to my time when we went to Ghana it's 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 pretty much the same same what I've experienced but what what uh, what else can you tell us about that Yes well um I think it it depends uh, where you go to um I mean Mediabad is uh, quite far away from large cities. It's pretty much in the middle of the desert. Mm. When you drive there, it's a very long road which leads to a Canadian gold mine. And um, at a random spot, you will just see Mediabad. And uh, other uh, villages are further away from it. And so, I mean, it, it, it's a very... Um, Imam Farhad? I think we've lost Imam Farhad. Yeah, we're, we're going to try to reconnect to him. Well, the question on Instagram is how have uh, uh, how do how have you how did you feel uh, about the Burkina Faso terrorist attack and some of the responses we've received uh, are that uh, certainly the news brought a lot of pain. Um, another message says it's saddening the media's lack of coverage. 
uh, once again highlights the discriminations against you know, Mohammedan Muslims. Um, we have uh, another message saying it was utterly devastating, deeply shocked and saddened on this cold-blooded attack. Um, we've got a message from the voice of heaven. We are extremely sad. Um, and uh, Arman says uh, it felt very sad. A lot of, uh, um, more or less, uh, you know, a lot of emojis um, and uh, <coughs> messages uh, of of sadness and heartbroken. Um, one message saying it reminded me to be grateful for the freedom of religion. Um, um, we we have, um, and I, I think that's such a relevant point. It's something. Um, you know, I was thinking yesterday um, that we don't realize how good we have it. And it's um, as much as it, it uh, you know, it, it's a reminder of being grateful. It's also a reminder of, I don't know. It It's also a, a <coughs> reminder that, not a reminder, but kind of felt ashamed and and felt like I was being ungrateful when you hear these things. Hmm. That how one lives, how we live our lives, and we think, yes, we are reading the Quran, we are serving the community, we are doing our prayers, we're, we're doing everything, yet you you listen to some of the the depth of belief of some of these people, and then you think to yourself, and and, you know, you you have a long way to go yet. You're, you 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 need to kind of um, you need to improve yourself. I don't know. I mean, how how did you gentlemen feel? Is it wrong to be thinking that you are un- we are ungrateful? I think it's a reminder, isn't it? Um, and I think it, this is. It's not. It's not a new thing, to be honest. Um, this is something that God Almighty speaks about in the Holy Quran. That when when we became, when we become too comfortable, mm. when you are not affected by hardship, when you don't have any any difficulties in life, then then this 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 is a common thing with with man, with humans in general. Uh, this is what happens. Um, but it is an opportunity for us. It's a reminder for us to to be grateful, to connect with God Almighty. And I think ultimately that's what it boils down to. You cannot have this strength that all of these nine men had. You cannot have that resilience, that perseverance that all of them had if you don't have that connection with God Almighty. And a lot of people have uh, kind of commented on this, uh, the, the the strength of the faith. Um, where a lot of people have said they were proud of all of them um, and a lot of people um, saying that they felt sick to their stomach no words uh, may God Almighty grant them justice um, it was inhumane and uh, how people felt proud mm. um, of uh, the strength they showed um, um, of uh, of uh, strength of faith where they they were willing to face death, but not to renounce their faith uh, in the promised Messiah. Um, may on whom be peace. Um, Brother Raza, you were going to ask a question to Brother Daniel. Yeah, it's the same question that I had for you mm. that, that you you posed us. I mean, you. Yeah, yeah. I I just think that um, 
the the teaching itself is the message of the promised Messiah, uh, of serving humanity, of loving humanity, of even praying for your enemy, is 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 so uh, is so appealing that um, it is so universal. It transcends languages. It transcends ethnicities. It transcends all sorts of boundaries and divisions and schisms. That it it. It, that it frustrates the enemy and 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 that makes them resort hmm. to these extreme measures they don't find any other solution to stop the spread of this universal message hence they spread the lies but isn't that the problem it's universal and it talks about unification whereas we live in a world where everything everybody goes out of their way to be devised to, to divide yeah and and this 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 effort that they have of division, this fights for it. They, this fights for like no unification is the answer. His holy uh, from the day of the it promised goes Messiah. Absolutely, yeah, from the yeah. day of the promised Messiah, from yeah. the message of the promised Messiah, on whom be peace to His Holiness, Hazrat Mirza Masrur Ahmad, the fifth Caliph of the promised Messiah, may Allah strengthen his hand. He has always spoken about unification. How um, you know. Um, we can only move forward if we were to unify. Hmm. And that message is a direct, um, um, uh, uh, it goes completely against hmm. the, the, this notion of dividing. Let's uh, get Imam Farhad back on the line. We do apologize. I think we just had a few hiccups with the system here in Batafatu. Asalaamu Alaikum, Imam Farhad, Jazakallah for, for joining us. Wa Alaikum, No worries. Thanks. Imam Farhad, uh, before you um, uh, you were cut off, uh, you were talking. You were painting a picture for us um, of this uh, village, um, and of a little bit of the country as well. So, so the question that I had for you is that you know if I uh, if I look at the statistics, for example, um, of this country. So the uh, you know as per Wikipedia, the per capita income of uh, this country is. Um, Two thousand six hundred dollars. Uh, you compare that with the per capita, capita income in uh, in Pakistan, which is um, about one thousand six hundred. So that paints a, paints a very different picture uh, uh, to an outsider, to somebody like me who has never been to uh, to Africa, let alone Burkina Faso. Uh, the question that I have for you is that: Were you able to f- to see this sort of bridge between the rich and the poor? For example, uh, between the capital um, uh, Ogadugu and uh, this particular village. Yes, yes, yes. I mean, there are large differences, uh, but the problem is that you know most of the money comes from the outside. I mean, these are countries that are. Uh, very uh, rich on resources. I, I um, when I was painting that picture of uh, of Madiabad, you know the region where the incident occurred. Uh, I mean, the main source there is the Canadian gold mine. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I mean, imagine, you know, all the gold um, is going to Canada. No one is profiting uh, from anything, and all their offices are in Wagadugu, the the, yeah. uh, the capital of Burkina Faso. So you know, all those villages who send their workers and whatnot and who give their properties, uh, they're not benefiting from anything. So, you know, if you go to Wagadugu, you will see some decent cars, you will see some offices, you will see banks, you will see businessmen dressed up 
um, in a Western way, you know, with a suit, with a tie. But in those villages, it's very, very traditional. And, you know, as I told you, it's, it's a very strange um, view because, you know, for the first time in my life, I was able to see the horizon wherever I looked. Mm. <laughs> Usually it's not the case. You yeah. see a tall building, you see a tower, uh, you'll see smoke from somewhere, but it is so empty. So you can tell uh, the difference between uh, the capital city and uh, the regions outside, the outer regions. And, and, you know, it, and remember that this region, this village that we're talking about, uh, has been actually set up by that that Canadian gold mine company because the exactly. gold mine was actually uh, uh, located in the in the place that the village was previously established. So they shifted the village, and, and yet, you know, I mean, if this is not an example of modern day slavery, uh, <laughs> modern day capitalism. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know uh, what is. It's, it's like in Ghana, it reminds me, they have this cocoa, uh, cocoa yeah. they have shea butter, yeah. but they don't profit from that at all. It's all yeah. going outside. Forget about cocoa, my friend. We're talking about gold. No, yeah. I know, I know. I'm, I'm just saying that, that's, I mean, natural resources. <laughs> cocoa is gold. Cocoa is, is gold. Sure, yeah, black gold. But, the, you know, this 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 is gold we're talking about. Yeah. And and yet, you know, this Canadian company, I mean, talk about exploitation. Imam Farhad, lastly, I want to ask you, as we can see, and uh, we asked uh, uh, Dr. Wahab in the beginning uh, a similar question that we see throughout the world, usually attacks of any sorts are often responded to by even more violence. You see uh, protests, you see people rising up and taken to the streets. However, when it comes to the reaction of the Amadi Muslim community around the world, it's a very unique reaction. It's a very um, unanimous reaction. Why is that, uh, that any time there is an incident, we don't go onto the streets, we don't protest, we don't um, do what you usually expect people to do in a situation like that? Yes, um, I think uh, there is... Um, Hazur pretty much answered this uh, recently in his Friday sermon where he was talking about the story of Hazrat Hamza, the uncle of the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. Mm-hmm. And I think this is a great lesson for us. You know, when he was martyred and... Uh, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, was so, so emotional. You know, he was so hurt hmm. that um, he said that I will do the same or even worse to the Quraysh who did this. And upon that, Allah Ta'ala revealed a verse where that pretty much, that's my own translation, but it basically says that, you know, you can take revenge uh, the same way um, unjust things were done upon you, hmm. But forgiveness and being steadfast is better. Mm. And the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, you know, he said that I will do what's better. I will be steadfast and I will uh, show patience. Mm. And this is this is our response. This has always been our response. Because, I mean, you cannot fight fire with fire. Absolutely. And, um, I mean, as I said, um, the moment I, I was informed about this, it was... I was very emotional because you know this this is pretty much the last place I was I, I would expect hmm. uh, I would I would expect uh, such such an attack. Hmm. And uh, those are so such humble people. Those aren't businessmen who would deceive someone. Those were so such simple people with no weapons. I mean they had they barely had shoes. They were so grateful for everything they had. I mean it seemed like they had nothing yet hmm. they had everything. Yeah, they had satisfaction. They were happy with their lives which we try to achieve by, you know, buying nice cars, buying big houses, making more money. And yet this happened to them. 
And uh, I think this is the only response. This is the best response. And as the Promised Messiah has said, that our greatest weapon is dua, Mm -hmm. prayer. And I think this is the only way we can respond. And we can only pray to God the Almighty that Allah uh, the Almighty uh, may his blessings be showered upon all the people who are suffering right now. Mm-hmm. You see, Imam al-Farhad kind of said it perfectly, what I was talking about, they, you know, and, and unsuccessfully tried to get you guys to understand, <laughs> <laughs> that they had nothing but they had everything. Yeah. And we aspire and we work for that materialistic everything. Mm. And yet we, we, we're still searching. We're still looking. And, and Imam Farad, is it wrong for me to say, or am I using the wrong words here, that when you say that, I, I, I have this feeling of shamefulness. And I'm like, ungratefulness, thinking it's, it's they had nothing but had everything. That just says it all. It is, is, I mean, are you able to elaborate more for the benefit of the listener what that means? of having nothing but having everything. Yeah, I, I have the perfect example. Excuse my English. The thing is that, you know, it's much better than mine. Germany, <laughs> but, you know, I was, I was, I was in Canada. I, Don't I'm, be I'm so a, humble. I'm a bit rusty right now. I'm just a bit rusty. Okay. So the thing is that um, I, I will give you an example. You know, there was a Khadim Masjid, a caretaker of a mosque. And I, I've given this example many times in my Friday sermons. This pretty much explains what you want me to explain. So there was this uh, caretaker, and he had uh, this. This was, by the way, this was his house. It was probably smaller than my closet. Hmm. It had just enough space to lay down, and everything else was on the wall. Maybe three pieces of clothing, right? And this man used to get up early in the morning for tahajjud, and it just made me very jealous. The reason why I was jealous, I used to envy him. The reason why I used to envy him was very simple. He, he just looked so satisfied. He looked so happy. He wow. was just grateful. I mean, he, he he didn't wake up for Fajr. That's way after. He used to wake up for Tahajjud every day. Amazing. And he was so satisfied. He was just so happy. He just he used to smile all the time. He, he was never lazy with helping all the guests and all that. And that's what made me envy him so much that, you know, he has nothing, but he has everything. I'm envious now just listening to you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, th- th- this actually put me in my spot, you know, and that's when I realized that, you know, Hazur sent me here. Hazur did not send me here to teach. I can't teach them anything. Yeah. If then I can learn. That's that's the only thing. Absolutely. Wow. Wonderful. Jazakallah, Imam Farhad. Um, it was very, very, very interesting to talk to you. Thank you so uh, much for you your time. Thank you very much for having me. It, it was an honor to have you on. Jazakallah. Uh, Assalamu alaikum. Peace be on you. Yeah. So, so, so the everything that we're talking about, I mean, it doesn't the promised Messiah summarize that uh, in his book, Philosophy of the Teaching of Islam, as nafse mutmainna? Yeah. Is, yes. Is, isn't that what what we're all aspiring to be? Ultimate it, it, satisfaction. Exactly. That yes. tranquil peace of mind. That, exactly. Peace within. Yes. That um, we find in these things that we buy in the new iPhone, in the new car, in the new. Uh, you know, yacht or or whatever mm. you might be buying. Yeah. <laughs> Which one have you bought? And yet, uh, and yet, it it exists somewhere. Um, He's got a yacht on his list. Yeah, no, no, no not, not today, not, not today. today. Next one. Um, our next guest for today is uh, joining us uh, right now. We are going to speak to Munir Hadi, who is a project manager 
at the Model Village in Ghana. Assalamu alaikum, peace upon you, and welcome to the Draft Time Show. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Brother Munir, Jazakallah, thank you so much for, for joining us today. Um, as a project manager of a neighboring model village to Mehdiabad, I want to ask you, how has this impacted villagers in in the in the village that you're taking care of? All right. So, okay. Thank you very much for having me here today. Yes. Yeah, so, uh, as a project manager here in Ghana, uh, interestingly in Ghana, for those who have heard the sad news, they've been really saddened by it. And then... Uh, those who've had opportunity to say uh, Janaza Guide, they've gone on to do that for uh, for the deceased. In Ghana, though, Ghana is quite a peaceful country. Mm. Uh, and then the model village that we've done here is has gone on to help tens of thousands of people by uh, taking them out of their conditions in which they used to be in previously. So for here, the potable water, the street lighting, and then uh, also the trade that we've, we've uh, engaged these people in has gone a long way to assist them in their livelihoods. And then uh, it's actually been a game changer here. Because once we go in, we come up with a model village. Uh, it assists them in, in the regard of water. It assists them in the regard of uh, improving their economic condition as well as uh, helping them in so many other ways. And so for, for, for the situation here in Ghana, it's been great so far. And then they've taken it well. Um, has such an attack ever happened before in, in model villages? Um, in Ghana, no. Uh, no, we hmm. haven't had any such incidents here in Ghana. Not in any of our model villages. Not at all. Um, Bermani, we this is a question I asked Dr. Hassan, uh, Dr. Uh, Wahab uh, earlier. Right. The, the the perseverance, the patience the dedication to the faith is yeah. something that is common wherever we see persecution happening of members of the community. Right. How does the community maintain moral and patience during okay. such yeah. difficult times? So for us in Ghana, uh, it is mainly through the institution of the Khilafat. Uh, which is the Caliphate, yep. Yeah. The Caliphate, yes, which is the Caliphate. For all Ahmadi Muslims here in Ghana, uh, we are so close to the institution of the Khilafat, which is the Caliphate, and then uh, the kind of love we have for our, our worldwide leader, which is the Khalifa, uh, we, tend to, we tend to have a strong faith and belief uh, in, in our religion. And then once there is a <coughs> instruction from the Khalifa, which is the, the Caliphate, we tend to abide by it strictly. And it's, it's always been a word of patience, uh, a word of tolerance, uh, a word of uh, being prayerful. And then that is what we have followed throughout. And this is how we, we've been working with, this is what we've been working with all this while. So, so far, because we followed that, we've been okay. Because uh, every time, we listen to the Khalifa, it's always been the word of peace, it's always been the word of tolerance. And this is what gets us to go by peacefully in the country, alhamdulillah. And how did the idea of the the model village come about originally? And how well are they received by the community in Ghana? 
So the International uh, Association of Ahmadi Architects and Engineers uh, started uh, carrying out a lot of borehole rehabilitations over a decade ago here in the country. Uh, in the processes of doing that, they realized that uh, some of the villages were in extreme conditions and they needed much more than just potable water. So we realized that aside the provision of potable water, we could also uh, provide some sorts of lighting because these villages had no water, had no electricity, had no means of economic sustenance. Now, the idea of the model village project or the model village scheme was to ensure that with the provision of water, we provided some street lighting uh, powered by solar and then also provided uh, a means of economic trade through uh, the teaching of the locals, uh, giving them some skills where they could fend for themselves and then make a living out of it. And then in doing that, we lifted the economic situation from a very bad state to a manageable one. So in Ghana, it has been well received so far, and then it's helped tens of thousands of people. It's taken people out of poverty, it's provided people with portable water, and then also it's assisted the kids of these locals to be able to study at night in, in the street lights that we provided and in the lighting that we provided to some homes as well. So it's been great here in Ghana so far, and then they've taken it so well. We are currently undertaking one in the northern region uh, of Ghana uh, under one of our schemes, so that's the Model Village Project, uh, which is funded by uh, uh, the Jamaat members. So it's currently ongoing, aside the ones that we've, we've, we've done in the past. So Alhamdulillah, by the grace of God, it's been great so far in Ghana. Brother Manu Hadi, thank you so much for taking time out this afternoon and coming on to the Drive Time Show. Wishing you a fantastic evening and a weekend ahead. May peace be with you, sir. Thank you so much for having me. May peace be with you all. is the number to call. Uh, we would like to, to hear from you. Uh, this is obviously a very tragic event which has happened, uh, the first we've heard of in Africa. So... If you'd like to contribute, if you'd like to say something, um, please do join in. You can also tweet us at well, Voice of Islam UK. One of the reasons why we're covering this topic um, is to highlight the atrocities and the persecution that is suffered by the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. Um, and a lot of our non-Muslim um, um, listeners are fully aware um, of uh, the work that the Ahmadiyya Muslim community does not only... Uh, charitable work and community work, not only in the United Kingdom, but across the world um, in in 200, uh, I think it's 212 free territories and countries around mm-hmm. the world um, where the guidance of uh, one man, the guidance of the Caliph, the guidance of the fifth uh, Caliph of the Promised Messiah, may Allah strengthen his hand, Hazim Azam Surah is followed. Um, and because of this guidance of peace, love, um, um, and serving humanity, irrespective of your faith, your gender, your creed, your color. It is about focusing on humanity. And and I think Brother Daniel asked a very relevant question. What is so bad about loving everyone and hating no one, which is the motto 
of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, which is love for all, hatred for none. Um, if you wish to contribute <coughs> and maybe inform us, uh, give us a call on 0208-678-7878. You talked about pain earlier, um, Brother Kiyom. Uh, let me go straight to our sister, Maria Shamim Shahid, who is the wife of an Ahmadi Muslim missionary uh, from Spain and is also a daughter of a martyr. Assalamu alaikum. Peace be with you. Thank you very much for joining us. Wa alaikum salam. for having me. Thank you very much, uh, sister, for uh, for joining us today. Uh, let me ask you firstly, uh, since you've 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 been through a similar uh, similar pain uh, in your life, your thoughts on this incident? Yes. Um, basically, I have been experiencing this persecution since I was little. I remember women were not allowed to go to the mosque because there was always a threat that someone was going to break in and cause harm. So women and children were held back and years used to pass and we did not use to visit our mosques. We could not uh, do tabligh openly or basically we just used to go, see, we used to secretly go to each other's houses for ijlas mm. and try not to make any noise so anybody couldn't know that there is an ijlas going on. So... Um, also, our mosque, our mosque and houses used to be attacked and damaged for writing Kalmatayib on it. We kept suffering, but did not lose our hope, uh, hope and faith in Allah and our religion. So, hmm. but it was a breaking point for us, for our family. When one day my father just got ready to go to his work like normal, but never returned. Uh, it was Friday, twenty eighth May, two thousand and ten. And me and my siblings also got ready to go to our schools. It was a regular day for us. And on our way back, um, I remember seeing the mosque and just saying how beautiful it is. And I wish I could visit it quite often. And when we got back home, we were just having lunch together and our TV was on. And suddenly the news started popping up that the terrorist had attacked the two MD mosque at the same time. They did not refer to our mosque as a mosque. They referred it to us like a place of worship. Mm. And that was quite heartbreaking for us. My grandmother knew that my father was going to be in Daruzika Mosque for the Friday prayer. So we tried to contact him, but he couldn't answer. My uncles went to the mosque to see him, but they couldn't. And then we found out the news that my father was shot by the terrorist while saving a Mirsab, uh, saving the life of a Mirsab. And... Yeah, it was quite hard, but we are very proud that uh, he lost his life while saving another one. Sister well, Mario, if I, if I can ask you, I mean, if somebody is listening and who is not a part of the community, they they will ask this question that how how can you say something like this? That how how can you be proud? How do you find that strength in you know in such a difficult time? How has the community supported you? Through through these difficult times, the loss of a father in in, in such a circumstance is, is quite it's, it's it's tough, isn't it? Yes, it's quite tough. But we found our strength because of our faith, and our father, the martyrdom of our father, made us more made us more strong for like it made us more uh, steadfast in our faith uh, in our religion and. Like they wanted to vanish us, but we kept spreading, and mm. we do not give up uh, because of the persecution. Also, the family support really, really helped us to get back to our daily lives. And Jamaat also gave us protection; they were always available for us at any time of the day. 
After our father's martyrdom, we were listening to a Jaka Salana one day, and suddenly a Malvi had a gathering right next to our house and started to say bad things about us. Uh, we turned the vo- we instead turned the volume of our TV louder and started sloganeering out loud. And Jamaat members also came for our protection, and after some time, their gathering was ended. And so after that, we moved to the UK, and I lived in Liverpool for 10 years. And here, our community bond grew even more stronger because now we were allowed to visit mosque, we were allowed to practice our religion freely, and even vote. Our lives got a little, uh, our lives got a lot better after moving to the UK mm-hmm. and finding a community here where we actually could meet each other freely. Sister, you you talked about. <clears throat> the intention of these of these uh, terrorists that they thought wrongly that they would uh, um, destroy the community or the um, or that uh, strength of the community um that obviously as you so rightly said that isn't the case in fact it made the the community that much more stronger why do you think that is the case um I think they made our community stronger because I think we actually just I don't think I think it was just it's it's the, I mean when we ask this question to others they they talk of uh, the caliphate they talk of the the strength of the belief and the love that everyone and the guidance one receives from the caliph I think the but I think the love of our Hazur and the way he was uh, after the martyrdom of my father, he basically called us and gave us so much hope and strength and courage that it kept us going, and I and this made our community and this made our faith even more stronger and made, gave us the courage to actually just hold steadfast on our faith and just keep going and not be. Um, and not be actually be bothered by them, bothered by the persecution at all. Mm. I'm just looking at the um, the picture of this mosque, um, and I and I just wish that somehow I could share this with our with our listeners. Um, it, it you know this this mosque is 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 so simple, mm. uh, and yet so beautiful in its simplicity. you know it's a, it's just a very very simple structure as you know as some of our guests were telling that it's a very uh, poor part of the world and it's um, uh, but this simplicity is just uh, awe inspiring if i if i can put it that way and um and if i can read out from uh, the latest uh, uh, press release uh, from uh, the present media office of the md muslim community um the uh, imam al haj burima uh, bitiga he was asked to renounce his faith and his response was and i quote if you wish to take my head off then you can but it is not possible for me to denounce islam ahmadiyat yeah. sister maria shamim shahid thank you very very much for joining us it was um, uh, an inspiration listening to you thank you crazy she was basically talking about the attacks that happened in lahore um again something that we refer to in the beginning of of the show in 2010 two of our mosques on may 28th two of the mosques in lahore pakistan were attacked by seven you know 
gun-wielding terrorists, grenades, suicide vests, you name it, they they came fully prepared. You know, it's, it is strange. Sometimes it is strange that when Sister Mariam talks about being proud, hmm. I remember in 2010 I went to Pakistan. My first cousin lost his son in Lahore. Hmm. And when I went to their house, and he left two children, I think they were four and five. It was, again, it's something that I, I it's something you've got to understand. Hmm. And and their mother, she was 26. There wasn't a tear. It was, yeah. it was like, as Sister Miriam said, His Holiness had called her mm. and reassured her. And she talked about how her husband, um, before going to the mosque, had uh, uploaded poems of the Promised Messiah on the phone for his children, mm. um, told them to keep on reciting these. And, uh, and how she said the same words, how the pride felt by the family, the fact that her husband had passed um, as as an Ahmadi Muslim um, and um, the fact that he was an Ahmadi Muslim and the fact hmm. he died in such a manner. Hmm. Let me, so you, and, and again, it's so strange. I'm sitting here thinking that and I'm thinking, wow. Well, let me um, share something else with you, uh, Brother Kiyum. So, so you, you're, you're talking about this incident and you're talking about a time when they probably may have had a few hours to process that's right. what, what had happened. So uh, my khalu, my uncle, mm-hmm. uh, uh, died um, in, uh, in one of the mosques, Tarul okay. Zikr, uh, in Lahore as well. He uh, was the Amir of uh, Al Hajjamat, the, the person um, our very guest was was referring to. Um, I had recently been transferred. I was used to work for a bank, as you know, and I was had recently been transferred only about a couple of weeks ago, actually, to Malaysia. And um, I had just uh, come back from work, Malaysia being three hours ahead, and um, just switched on BBC and and. You know, this was on the news that uh, the mosque had been attacked. Immediately, I called up my khala, my my aunt, mm. and uh, so this is the, so this was a call at a time when the attacks were happening. Nobody knew what was happening inside and what would have happened to my khalu at that at that time, my uncle at that time, and I I asked her, um, "How are you, aunt?" And, you know, her response is something that shakes me uh, even now, and uh, and I just can't forget. And she said, I will be happy the way God, any way God wants to keep me. Mm-hmm. However, however, however God would like me to be kept, my God, I yeah. will be, uh, yeah. It is it is my God who decides, and I will follow suit. And, and you know, I was in tears sitting yeah. in, in, in Malaysia, mm. uh, just l- looking at uh, the news. And here she was, unbelievable. The strength so, of character, the strength of faith. And, and, and you know, yeah, the exactly, strength so, I mean, is... This, this is only God-given. I mean, that, that yeah. is the only thing that one can think of. 
Here with us uh, to talk about this uh, topic uh, as well is our next guest for today. I believe Nasser Ahmed is with us on the line. Nasser, assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you, and welcome to the Draft Time Show. Um, Nasser, you have a. Um, I want to ask you about this as well. This this uh, attack that happened on the Amdi Mosque in Lahore in 2010. You were there. Can yes. t- tell tell our listeners about this 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 attack, why it occurred, and and you know just very briefly. I mean, we don't have much time, unfortunately, right now. Okay. But uh, uh, anything that you can tell uh, us about that? Of course, uh, I can't exactly tell uh, why it's occurred, but I can tell you sure. when it's occurred. Uh, Imam Saab was delivering a Friday sermon, and I was in the main hall. And uh, he was talking about, uh, because it was uh, just uh, the day when Khilafat Day, we were celebrating Khilafat Day just mm. one day before that. Which mosque were so you was at, talking, uh, In Moral Town, Masjid Dhu. Right. So he talked about that Ahmadis are in peace because of the Khilafat. And suddenly we heard some voices. And uh, I can verify that and I can vouch that. Imam Saab never moved from there, never mm. a step. I saw few Ahmadis running here and there, maybe to protect uh, others or to protect them, like closing windows, closing doors. And my initial response was that, how can someone uh, run during the Friday sermon? Mm. Because uh, initial thought was not that this is a Taliban type attack. The, mm. It was a thought that there might be some two parties fighting outside for in the sports ground hmm. but the imams have started reciting uh, prayers and uh, eventually suddenly uh, the terrorist came inside and uh, he ran the burst of AK-47 and uh, I lost conscious for a few seconds at that time and I ran when he came back in that hall uh, nobody was alive there like everyone was either shaheed or uh, injured. So I went straight to the Imam Sab and he was right on his support. He never moved from there. So there was a chance for him to run. There was a chance for him to do something. And uh, the second thing, there was immense peace on each and every MD there. And I also saw the terrorist who was caught by some MD. He was there. And his face was terrible. He was not in the peace. Hmm. So, this was a short story, hmm. you can say. Now, the aim of those terrorists, of course, is to put fear in your heart, is to make you renounce your faith, as we've just learned from the attack that happened in Burkina Faso. They gave them the option, renounce your faith, renounce Islam. Yeah, yeah. All nine of them proudly said, there is no way that we can do this. How did this, you know, this attack that you were just mentioning in 2000, and how, how did that impact you spiritually? I mean, do you, was there any fear to be in Ahmadi? Not just by you, but I'm sure, you know, the people that were there as well, the brothers. No, not at all. Uh, there was never a thought. There was never a thought. Like, uh, if you could allow me, I will... Uh, I wanted to share an incident of Sir Zafullah Khan Sahib, who was one of the greatest lawyers. Hmm. Uh, once Hazrat Khalifa al-Masih Sani 
said that we second need caliph. Uh, second caliph. We need some person to preach Islam in Afghanistan because over two MD brothers were passed, uh, were killed there. Hmm. So Sadafullah Khan initially did not wrote a letter. He was Amir Jamaat Lahore. He was young. He was a supreme judge of combined India and Pakistan, like hmm. a very good post. So he wrote a letter to Hazur that although I can go to Afghanistan and I can give my life there, but you may think that I choose a shortcut hmm. for the heaven. Uh, but if you want, I am ready to go there or I am ready to be uh, give my life every day in the life of uh, for the life of Islam. So I, what I want to say that that uh, the Shahadat, I'm not downsizing the Shahadat of every MD, but those who are living in those fears, they are ready to give their blood for the faith. Hmm. They are not uh, down, they are up. Yeah. Fear, fear is natural, isn't it? I mean, if for you to say that you're not going to be scared would be, would be, uh, would be wrong to say, but being scared doesn't mean that it doesn't diminish the strength of the no. belief you have in your faith. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, no, of course not. Uh, you see, there are a lot of incidents. It started from Kabul, uh, Abdul Latif Shahid Saab. Mm-hmm. You see this imam in Burkina Faso. He was the one. He was a Wahhabi before. Mm-hmm. He converted to Ahmadiyya. Mm-hmm. And he converted strongly. And he stood for, he was not Ahmadi by birth. Mm-hmm. So when he was shot, the other nine or eight people had the chance to say, okay, uh, leave us. But the next person did not choose that. And the third, then fourth, then fifth, then sixth. Each one of them was given a chance. So, I mean, this is a great sacrifice. Hmm. And it's not happening only in Burkina Faso. It happened last year in Rawa as well, when Tehrik al uh, member came and asked some MD to denounce promised Messiah. And he did not, he never did this and he killed it. So it's happening. You, you know what you what you mentioned, uh, brother there about uh about about blood. Um uh, you know the the poem that we were um, we were playing earlier, uh, one of the verses was Ye Ishko Panpenge these fields of love and loyalty will not be nurtured without sprinkling of blood. What life, what does life matter on this path? If it has of to be course, given up, uh, let it be so. Yeah. Thank you very much, yeah. Brother Nasser Ahmed. Uh, really an inspiration to talk to you as well. Thank you very much for joining us and uh, sharing your thoughts and experience. Thank you to you for giving the opportunity. Exactly. This is the temporary life. It is, it is, uh, you know, um, it is for the it is for that um, um, eternal life is for after death, isn't it? Hmm. That is the mindset. That's that is the belief, not the mindset. Hmm. In fact, uh, this is akin to just a uh, just a short stop uh, for a traveler under a tree yeah. in a long journey. Yes, uh, as it's mentioned in one of the traditions. This brings us to the end of today's show. We would like to say thank you to everyone for joining us today. I want to finish off uh, here from the studio with a quote from the Promised Messiah, the founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, something that we were talking about before. 
He says that the principle to which we adhere is that we have kindness at heart for the whole of mankind. If anyone sees the house of a Hindu neighbor on fire and does not come forward to help extinguish the fire, most truly I declare that he does not belong to me. If any one of my followers, having seen someone attempting to murder a Christian, does not endeavor to save him, I most truly declare that he does not belong to us. He says that I proclaim to all Muslims, Christians, Hindus, Aryas, that I have no enemy in the world. I love mankind with a love that a compassionate mother has for her children, even more so. I am only the enemy of the false doctrines which kill truth. Human sympathy is my duty. My principle is to discard falsehood. I reject paganism, wrongdoing, misconduct, injustice, and immorality. From all of us here, thank you very much for joining us today. Um, we have just about a minute left here. Boyce, anything from your side, Brother Daniel? No, just uh, uh, just uh, thoughts and prayers uh, with uh, all our brothers and sisters at the moment in Mahdiabad. Um we just want to, if anybody uh, over there or in Africa in general is listening, we just want to say that um, we love you all and um, may God be with you. Um, I think it's more or less the same. I think uh, uh, I'll move it on to Raza. No, I, th- I, I want to finish off with that, with, with, the, with, the, with the poem as well. But I think uh, we, we've tried to bring you some sort of clarification as to what exactly religion means to us, what faith means to the members of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, and why we see that strength uh, coming and radiating from, from these individuals. From all of us here, thank you very much again for listening in. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. <laughs> बन जाते हैं जो सच्चे मोमिन बन जाते हैं मौत भी उनसे डरती है तुम सच्चे मोमिन बन जाओ और खौफ को पास ना आने दो तुम सच्चे मोमिन बन जाओ और खौफ को पास ना आने दो दुश्मन को जुल्म की